Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is brought to you by 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. You can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. On tonight's show, I didn't ask you how you're doing, see? Yeah. Because you're laughing because you're anticipating it. Yeah, would you also like to reveal that this is not the first time that we've attempted this tonight? (laughs) No, this is the third time because extraneous noises and... uh, People do not respect the strange familiars. (laughs) The sanctum sanctorum. Tonight we're going to be talking with Emma, who has some really interesting stories. One of them from her youth, where she saw an apparition of a firefighter, and then a fire broke out in her house. Her brother, I believe it's in the same house, her brother sees a fiery apparition, a boy who's on fire in his room. She's got a story of a shadow man who's accompanied by a whirlwind. UFOs, and then we haven't had a cat ghost story in a while, so we got a cat ghost story. In the second part of the show, I'm going to be talking about, see if I can get through this without making you laugh. Okay. Irving Irving of Irvington. 
You made that up. No. <laughs> it's a hermit. Mm-hmm. Irvington, Massachusetts. I looked it up. As far as I can tell, and I had some folks in Massachusetts look it up as well, there is no Irvington, Massachusetts. So I think they're referring to Irving, which, as patrons know, our last hermit episode was a two-parter we did for patrons on John Smith, the hermit of Irving Castle. And you don't think this is the same hermit? It is not the same hermit. This guy's a snake charmer. So I think Irvington is actually Irving, different hermit, I don't know how many hermits were in Irving, Massachusetts <laughs> in the 1800s. Why do hermits pick these kind of conditions? What kind of conditions? New England. Oh, where it's colder? New yeah, England I don't winters. know. New England winters. There are hermits further south, but there seems to be a lot of them in New England. A lot. Why would you not pick, like... Florida. The southwest, where you're not going to freeze to death. Yeah, I don't know. We get to hear about... Irving Irving of Irvington, the snake charming hermit, a little bit later in the episode. Can you tell me also about Billy Williams of Billington? <laughs> I haven't found him yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, If you I do, send will. in the pictures, guys. I did a print of the cover of Where the Footprints End, Volume 2. It's my favorite print I've ever had done of my work. I think it, it looks really, really good. We have these printers, these local printers that we work with, and I've been having stuff printed since I was you know, old enough to pay a printer to print stuff up. You know, I used to do fanzines way back in the day. and We spent a lot of 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. at Kinko's when they were open. Sure, I used to do that. But most printers, I'd come with these wacky ideas of things I wanted to do, and they'd just be like, uh, I don't know, or no, or <laughs> that's going to cost money. Yeah, yeah. of course it's going to cost money. The printers we use, these local printers, have never told me that. From the first time I walked in with a wacky idea, they just said, okay, let's do it. Yeah, do they, they do do nice work. I was told when I was doing LPs, I was told by the record presser that there's only two printers in the country that can even make LP covers anymore. Which is sort of ridiculous because it's printed paper. Yeah. And that's what printers it's do. It's the format. It's the yeah. large format of it. But I went to these local guys. I said, I need to do an LP cover. And they said, let's do it. They did it, and they did an awesome job. So I really love our local printer. So I had this idea, had this 140-pound watercolor paper. I'd like to get prints made on that. So I take the paper into them and said, can we do prints on this? And because they're awesome, they said, let's try. They tried. They turned out beautiful. They do look nice. They look like G-Clay prints or something. They're really nice. So excited about these prints. I think they look so good. They are available in our Etsy shop. Each print I'm doing an artist remark on which if you don't know what that is, it's a, I'm doing a little ink drawing in the border. Actually two, one at the bottom and one at the top corner. Bigfoot at the bottom and some kind of critter at the top right. I've been doing owls, crows, spiders, you name it. Uh, you don't get to choose. I choose because I'm the artist. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, these prints are like my favorite prints I've ever done. They're in our Etsy shop. There's a post at strangefamiliars.com and I'll try to put it in the show notes as well check them out. I'm not sure how many I'm going to do. There's, I think, 12 left right now, something like that. We'll see how many more I do. Get them while they're hot. At the first batch I put up, sold out literally in minutes. They were just gone. Check it out. Again, it's at our Etsy shop, shop name Lost Grave. Link is at strangefamiliars.com. There's a post up there as well. Speaking of artwork, the artwork for tonight's episode is available at Etsy if you want to own an original. Well, without further ado, let's get to Emma. 
Okay, tonight we're talking with Emma, who's got several stories to share with us. It seems like the, the paranormal kind of runs in your family, as you were saying. Isn't that correct? Yeah, definitely. Um, me, my mom, my grandma, my aunts and uncles, everybody has, you know, some sort of thing. Very interesting. And you had a sort of variety of experiences. So you can start wherever you want, as much as you're comfortable. If you want to give locations and dates, you can be very general with that. I know some people don't like to give their exact location. That's perfectly understandable. And uh, I'll ask questions as we go along. Just kind of walk us into your stories. Yeah. Um, the first one, I live in upstate New York. Um, I won't say exactly where, but the Western area. That's fine. And the earliest paranormal experience that I can remember, I was only about three years old. And my parents still lived together. We lived in a wooden little like cabin in the woods. It was heated by a wood stove. And my mom tells me that for about a week before this night, I wouldn't stop talking about fires and firefighters. And she couldn't really figure out why. Like she asked my daycare, my grandma, et cetera, if anyone had like done a lesson with me or read me a book about firefighters. And they all said no. So she couldn't really figure out where this was coming from. It was just kind of weird. One night, I remember this. I kept seeing a fireman in my room. I remember him being transparent, kind of. It was just like a portrait, like shoulders up, and he was kind of just above me in the dark. I don't remember feeling scared. I just remember not knowing why he was there. This was the first time I had actually seen one. So me being a three-year-old, I, you know, go to my parents' room, and I, I just tell them there's a firefighter in my room. And they just, like, laughed it off, like, okay, you know three-year-old so they brought me back put me back to bed and it happened again so it was about like two or three in the morning I kept waking them up because I kept this firefighter wasn't going away and I was just like you know I gotta tell my parents about this and for about the third time I went down to wake them up and almost immediately after I woke them up the house started filling with smoke because the wood stove's chimney caught on fire and we got out, called 911. Thankfully, nothing was, like, too damaged. We all were fine. But my parents didn't, they had, like, pretty much just moved in. They didn't have any working smoke alarms in the house. And basically, like, if I, if I didn't see the fireman and woke them all up that night and I didn't stay awake because of it, um, we all, you know, it, it could have been a lot worse if, if none of us were awake. Wow. Smoke inhalation and all that. So... Basically, this firefighter that I kept seeing was a spirit or something of the sort that, you know, somehow knew that this was going to happen and kept us all awake. So we were awake you know, know when it happened. Be- I don't know whether it's because I was reading over your email too fast or, or what, but for some reason I didn't get that these two events were in the same night. Wow. That's yep, pretty- yeah, it was the same night. That's amazing. And then after that... Yep. After that, I I stopped seeing them. I stopped having this obsession with fire. Like it was just never really brought up again. But, you know, it's one of my mom's favorite stories of me to tell at family reunions and all that. It's just, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's a neat story. Now, when you say you saw them like from the shoulders up, you mean that's all that appeared or there was something in the way? That's all you could see? You know, we have these stories of Um, disembodied legs, so... Just from what I remember, that's all all I could see. It was just darkness around and then it was just like a portrait. I... You know, I don't think there was anything in the way. I remember his face a little bit. He had um, dirty blonde hair, facial features I can kind of remember. One of our theories that it, is that it's my grandpa, my mom's dad, who passed away when before I was born, when she was very young. And she says she's you know, believes that he protects us all 
in that sort of way. And but, this entity or whatever it was was wearing a like a firefighter helmet and. Yep. Yep. Wow. He had um like red had a firefighter hat on. I just I just I knew he was a firefighter. Um, I remember remember it pretty well. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Yep. Yeah. So well. Yep. Thank goodness for him. Yeah. No kidding. It could have been could have been really bad if none of us had you know woken up. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful in a way. I, I really enjoy that. That's a good story. So did you um, c- continue to, to see things throughout your youth or was that kind of an isolated incident? Um, here and there. I mean, nothing really like that. When I was really young, before they moved into that house, actually, I was like one and a half to two years old. There are stories of me, the same same grandpa, actually, who died when my mom was really young. They had a picture of him like on our little coffee table. And when I was really young, I would sit in front of that picture and laugh and clap and all that, you know, like he was talking to me and nobody really, you know, knew why I was doing that. I would look at the picture and just like talk to it in, you know, my baby language. Um, And and your mom had some feeling that that he was kind of hanging around and protecting you before you were born even, like the family? Yep, that like for her whole life. So he passed away when she was only 16 and she says that she remembers for a long time after he passed away that she could just feel his presence, you know, in the room and just kind of has, have always known that he's there. So that was um, the only story really from that house, the house that I moved to shortly after the one I lived in it for 12 years before moving to college. It was built in the very early 1800s. We're not sure exactly when, because the earliest official records got lost in a fire, but we think it could have been as early as 1802, but we're not 100% on that. But um, on our property, there is a wood mill that a former president actually worked at. I'm not going to name who because I would give away where I live. Sure, but um, yeah. he worked there, and eventually the mill caught on fire and burned down, which is interesting because fire seems to be a theme in my life here. Mm-hmm. That was right across from our house on property that we own, and... It was supposedly possible that there could have been some deaths during that time, but we don't really know. But there's pieces of wood mill still on our property. We found old soda bottles, old medicine bottles, you know, a bunch of old stuff from that wood mill that are still there. And I always felt really odd in that house. There were two specific rooms that I really never liked. And one of them was my brother's room. And it's interesting that we do know that my brother's room was the one of the first of two rooms that were built. So that is one of the two oldest rooms in that house. And again, I never, never really liked it there. It always just was kind of one of those spots that I just felt uneasy in. Mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, he was about eight or nine. At that age, generally kids, you know, start sleeping in their bedroom without their parents and stuff. So he still was having a lot of trouble with that. And my my mom one day asked him, like, you know, why, why do you hate sleeping in your room so much? And he said that he wakes up in the, mil- in the middle of the night and there's a little boy in a fire screaming at him. Mm. And it scares him, like, bad, you know, understandably. And we think that maybe, you know, if, he, if he's actually seeing that, which it, it was a theme, like, he insisted that he did. I think that maybe that might have some sort of connection to the windmill fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fire yeah. Is, is quite the theme that's running. running yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. interesting. Yeah, very interesting. You, um, you said you never got a good feeling from that room. Nope, from the beginning, I, I never liked it. And even um, we have cats. My cats won't go in there. And, you know, like animals can supposedly sense 
the other side. Mm-hmm. And um, like our, our animals don't like it. I don't like it. He doesn't like it. And it is one of the oldest rooms in the house. Whenever our bunny stares off into space and my family asks what she's looking at, I always say, well, it's a ghost. She's looking at a ghost and, and no one wants to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you never know. So there was my brother's room that I hated and then my the living room, which I, I always was another room I never really liked being alone in, especially at night. It always was just, it's, it's interesting because it wasn't the whole house. It was just these two rooms that I just, I did not like. When I was about 12 or 13, I was home alone because I had school off that day. Um, my brother was at his friend's house. My parents were at work. It was just me and I had a German shepherd dog named Reba. And I always felt more comfortable being alone when the dog was there. Cause, you know, as I just said, they say that animals can sense spirits better than humans can. And I kind of knew that at the, the time. And I just, you know, I liked her with me. And I remember I let her outside. You go to the bathroom, do her business. And I went back into the living room to read since I was sitting there before. I was completely alone in the house. I was trying to read. And then all of a sudden, whispering voices kind of started to surround me. I couldn't exactly make out what they were saying, but it was just whispers. And I I couldn't really think. And I got really freaked out and ran outside to get the dog and bring her back in because I'm like, I'm alone. I, I can't really leave. But, you know, at least I'll have my dog with me. I sat in the in the dining room for a while, just avoiding the living room. And I was like, I don't know what that was. A little freaky, but, you know, and then I realized that I left my book in the living room and I wanted to read. So I made a run for it, went to try and grab my book. And as I was in there, the whispers started back up again and they got louder for a few seconds. And then I ran out again with my book. And it was interesting because that was around the time we were renovating in our kitchen. Hmm. And there's that other theory that spirits that were laid to rest or whatever, When you renovate a room, they kind of come back up, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was also around that time my mom later told me that she was home alone in the living room and we were renovating our kitchen and the same thing happened to her. She heard voices. Couldn't tell what they were saying, but she definitely heard voices coming from the kitchen area. After the kitchen was was done being renovated, it, it had never happened to me or her ever again. You just heard these these whispers the one time? Yep, it only happened to me that one day, and it only happened to her. It wasn't the same day. It was around the same time, though, when our kitchen was being renovated. It only happened to her once, too. And it sounded like multiple voices. Yep, yeah, for both of us. That's kind of terrifying. Yeah, it was It was really creepy. I Needless to say, I, I avoided the living room for a while. Yeah, how long do you need to before you are able to go back in there and sit down and read, you know, calmly? I mean, I still, again, as I said, I I just try to not go in there. Um, I'd never, I always felt really uneasy and just kind of always felt like something was watching me. And it was only the living room and only my brother's room that I felt like that. I just, you know, I just, uh, I kind of just stopped going in there after that, at least by myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, it's, it's kind of hard to shake that once it, once it happens. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So you had sleep paralysis in this same house? Yes. That's another thing that runs in our family. And I think it's an interesting connection that I have it. My mom has it. My grandma has it. Again, bunch, a bunch of my aunts and uncles have it. And it seems that anyone in my family who does get sleep paralysis with hallucinations also seem to have some sort of connection to the, to the spirit world. They have a lot of different experiences throughout their whole lives. 
Um, it's an interesting connection. It's very interesting, and it's I've often found it to be true when I ask people who come on the show if they have sleep paralysis as well. It's the great majority do. Right, yeah. Because, you know, they say that, like, it's completely scientific. You know, it's your brain. We can prove this. But it's just, it's it's a weird, I don't think it's a coincidence that a large majority of the people who do have it also have a lot of paranormal experiences on top of that. Yeah, I think it's not necessarily an explanation. And, and just because we know sleep paralysis is real doesn't necessarily mean that, that something else isn't going on. It, I believe it's a matter of kind of confusing the keyhole for the door. Right. So you talked about this one in the email. This uh, sounds really interesting. A tornado. Yep. And the shadow um, person. Yep. It was that same house. I was again about 12 or 13. I'm 99% sure I was 13 and I laid down and went to bed. I, I don't know why, but I remember like falling asleep in a really specific way. My arm was kind of hanging off the bed and um, like by my bedroom window. And so I fell asleep that way. I woke up and I remember my arm was still kind of hanging off the bed. And I remember this because when I woke up, my window was open when previously it was closed. And I felt the wind on my arm. And I remember thinking like, oh, it must have been too warm in here or something. I wonder if my mom came in and opened it for me. You know, it wasn't that strange. Mm -hmm. The wind started getting kind of faster and faster, stronger against my arm. And that's when I realized I couldn't move because I was going to, you know, get up, close the window like it was cold and I, I couldn't move. And obviously I didn't know what was going on. I wasn't really freaking out at first. I just, it was weird. And then the wind kept getting stronger. And I remember that stuff in my room, like on my shelves, my books, my just little knickknacks on my shelves started falling over and the wind didn't stop. Eventually, after like a couple minutes, I guess, there was like a mini tornado in my room. And then behind that tornado in the back corner of my room, there was a shadow figure with red eyes who seemed to be kind of just controlling the tornado. And it, it kept going for a while. Like everything in my room was just a complete mess tornado was you know going on and I still couldn't move and I remember just feeling in my chest like I wanted to scream like I was you know and I, I couldn't I couldn't move anything right and I remember thinking like this is kind of funny I was like great now I'll have to pick all of this up like <laughs> <laughs> when I wake up like my room was a complete mess and I, I don't know like at the time, I, I guess I wasn't really thinking about how this could not be real. Like, there, there's no way there's a tornado in my room right now. I just kind of accepted it for what it was at the time. And that went on for, I don't know the exact amount of time. It felt like maybe 20, 30 minutes, but, you know, I'm not really sure. And then all of a sudden I snapped out of it. I sat up and I was very surprised to see my room not a mess. My window was closed. So I was feeling this cold on my arm, even though there was no wind. Like, in reality, I just remember just taking some deep breaths for a minute. And then I'm like, okay, that was a weird dream. Let me go back to sleep. Like, I'm, I'm going to try and go back to sleep. So I laid down. And at that moment, it was probably just, you know, something fell over. But I heard a little bump in the back corner of my room where that shadow figure was kind of standing. And I'm like, all right, I, I cannot sleep right now. So... 
I got out of my room. I like bolted out of there and I was trying to figure out a way to wake my mom up to see, or, you know, to tell her what happened. But I, I thought she was going to think I was crazy. Like, you know, she was just going to say, it's just a dream. Like just go back to bed, even though I, I felt differently. And um, so eventually I did. And she just had this look of shock on her face. And she was like, I have that too. Like that's happened to me too. Not that same experience, but she explained to me that it, it was sleep paralysis and she was hoping that I would never have to experience it, but it does seem to run in our family. And she has a lot of really creepy stories of her own regarding uh, sleep paralysis hallucinations, but that was the first time I ever experienced it. And it was, um, and that's the first time you had, that's the first time you had sleep paralysis or sleep paralysis with the images? Uh, Sleep paralysis in general. Mm -hmm. I, can't recall ever having just sleep paralysis without hallucinations. I, I think it was both at once. It was my first time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's that seems young to me, just because you know mine started much later, like college years. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, brave girl, you know, it's it's a terrifying experience. It really is. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, my mom's actually. She recalls having experiences from as young as like three or four years old. Oh, wow. Like it's been her whole life for her. And same with my grandma. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, yep. I'm glad mine wait, at least waited. Until I was a little bit <laughs> yep. Older. Wow. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Being like a, a toddler and going through that and not having any idea what it is. Yeah. Yeah. See, I like, and I didn't know that sleep paralysis was a thing. You know, this was 1991, something like that. And uh, there just wasn't, it wasn't talked about. I'm, I'm sure there was information out there, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know about it when it happened. So I didn't know what was going on when it started happening with me. Um, but your, your mother did. She explained it to you right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause, but you know, she didn't, she didn't know what it was until much, much later either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She spent her young years and her teenage years, you know, just being absolutely terrified every yeah. night. Like, yeah. Wow. Wow, that's intense. Well, I mean, you know, tornadoes and windstorms, they really are a thing that go with, you know, UFOs and fake experiences and so forth. It kind of clicks right in with all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Shadow person with red eyes, huh? Do you remember, yes. the, was it about normal person sized? Um, I would say a little taller, maybe like a little, a little less than seven feet tall, I would say, because it didn't quite touch my my ceiling but it, it was pretty close um i couldn't see its legs because the tornado was in the way but i remember seeing and again like a portrait almost like I, I could make out its shoulders its head just pitch black darker than my room with with red eyes yeah wow so, so sort of like the red glowing eyes like yep did they look like leds um i i guess you could say so yeah or or more natural what i'm saying is I'm always surprised when when I see the, like the weird lights in the woods at night, how unnatural they look. They look like man-made lights. Right. I mean, did this look like something man-made, or did it look more like more of a natural light kind of thing? Um, now that you say that, I definitely think they were, were they were brighter than than natural. They mm-hmm. were very very bright. So that's yeah, really really interesting and again i've never seen a shadow person but the description people tell me is blacker than the night around it would that do you, would that apply mm-hmm. oh wow. definitely yes it's just it was completely the blackest 
thing I have ever seen. Like, yeah, you don't think it can get darker than a dark room, but it, it definitely does. Wow. Really intense thing for a young person to see. I mean, that's, oh, yeah. that's really I intense. mean, and I, I still remember it very vividly. Like, it's very hard to, like, have you ever had sleep paralysis with hallucinations? Oh, sure. I mean, okay. I, you know, all of my quote unquote um, abduction experiences, experiences may or may not be written up to just that. And most recently I had a, an incident where I was in caught in a, uh, in a tornado or, or some kind of windstorm where it actually lifted me off the ground. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to kind of describe to people who have never experienced it because you know they chalk it up to well it's just a dream but it's not like i i've had a lot of very intense dreams in my life that's another theme in my life like i i have some wild dreams i I have my whole life and even those the most wildest of dreams that i have had i cannot remember in my mind as vividly as i can this sleep paralysis experience Uh, like it's it's not a dream a hundred percent i always tell people it's like it's like realer than than waking reality somehow that's the, yes. on, the only way I can explain it. There's no dream-like quality to it, and, and I've had I've had strange dreams. Like I like I, I've talked about it. I've had weird dreams about Sasquatch and stuff, and they're dreams. They're very dreamlike. There's a very yes, you know, weird kind of dreamlike quality to them. These experiences, while they may be weird, they're that's why I say there's something different about them. I, I feel very much awake when they're happening, and there's no waking period between. Mm-hmm when they end and you're sitting up in bed or whatever, it's just all of a sudden you're there. I mean, at least for me, that's the case. Right. Yeah. Like groggy period where you're like, Whoa, that was a dream, you know, kind of waking up out of a dream. Yes. No, I definitely agree. Cause I remember kind of snapping out of it and I sat up and I'm just like, what was that? Like that, that was unlike any dream that I've ever had. Like, yeah. Yeah. It just, it, it wasn't a dream. Yeah. And that's the only way I can put it. I don't, you know, it may be some form of illusion. I'm not going to argue people on that but they're not normal dreams for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's hard to explain that to people who've yeah, never experienced it. Yeah, it really is. Cause I think people who haven't experienced it just think, Oh, dream. Oh, you just had a bit. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. Cause how are, how are they supposed to understand? You know, they've never had. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame them, but it's just, <laughs> yeah. Secta got especially good this week. I saw it coming. I wasn't sure it was going to happen, but I hoped it was going to happen. The meeting of the two cult leaders. And it happened. It's quite the payoff. Yeah, I like it because I didn't know who to root for. <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. like, which bad guy should I root for? <laughs> if you've been following us, hopefully you've been watching Secta, but if you've been following us talking about it, it's on a streaming service called MHZ Choice. It's Z is in Zebra. Secta's a program from Russia about a cult We've been watching it week to week. They have a lot of other programs though, that I think really be of interest to our listeners. Yeah, a lot of kind of dark noir crime kind of stuff. Yeah, folk horror kind of. They have programs from over 20 countries, mysteries and dramas from Europe, mostly Scandinavia. They have other stuff. Secta is from Russia, of course. All the programs are presented in their original language. There's not the goofy overdub stuff. But the subtitles are done by MHZ Choice. They do a great job easy to read, easy to follow. You can use the promo code STRANGE at mhzchoice.com and you'll get your first month free. Use the promo code STRANGE at checkout. After that, it's $7.99 a month. There's no commitment. You can cancel anytime. 
That promo code STRANGE can only be redeemed on mhzchoice.com through a direct subscription. So make sure to go to mhzchoice.com. You can get the channel on Amazon Prime, Xfinity, the Roku channel, etc., etc. But to use that code STRANGE, go to mhzchoice.com. I've really, really been enjoying their programs. And now that we've finished SECTA, it's eight episodes. Last two episodes dropped this week. We'll have to pick something else out. There's plenty to watch there. mhzchoice.com. So tell me about this UFO experience. Yeah, I don't, it's it's unlike really any that I have ever read or heard of. It, it was very strange. Um, there's another story that kind of connects to this night that was a really weird coincidence, but um, oh, I want to hear maybe both. not a coincidence. I don't know. I'll tell you both. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. So my friend and I, it was October, I remember, and we were outside just kind of stargazing, you know, typical. And it was probably around midnight, one in the morning. The sky was really clear. We could see really well. And we were just sitting there talking looking at the stars. And then, you know, about an hour into it, there was this, the best way I can describe it is its movements. Its movements were very erratic. It was like, you know how like a like an insect, like a fly, I guess, kind of moves like zigzags and oh, just yeah. very, you know, it was, it was like that. And it was this tiny speck in the sky. It was very small, but it was bright. And it was brighter than the stars. Um, it was bright enough for us to make out easily. And it was going ridiculously fast i remember it started at at my right side above the woods and it was just a zigzaggy erratic kind of movement really fast for faster than an airplane faster you know i i know what airplanes look like i know what satellites look like i know what meteors asteroids i've I've seen all of those it was not like that i really could not think of anything that i have seen that i know of like what it what it could have been but it started from my right, like I said, zigzaggy, erratic motions. And within about, I'd say like three or four minutes, it went over us, continuing those same erratic motions until it was on our left-hand side. And we were just watching it, like astounded, like, what is that? Like, I've never seen anything like that before. It wasn't a drone. Like I said, it wasn't anything that I could really think of, still can't think of. And... It migrated to our left side and remember it just kind of stood still for a minute and then just faded away into the sky like just kind of got dimmer and dimmer until we couldn't see it anymore and we just looked at each other and we were like wow like you know i don't want to jump to you know aliens or anything but it was definitely a ufo like we we have no idea of what it could have been right that was about it for for that but Mm -hmm. later on that night um this is how i remember it was october it was the same night we were looking for movies to watch and it was the night of October 7th. And I guess now that I think about it, I had the UFO timing wrong. It would have been before midnight, so probably like 9 or 10. So it was October 7th that night. We, we went back inside after that happened. And we were looking for movies to watch. And she found one on Prime Video called Hell House LLC. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's just a typical horror movie. And I was like, yeah, what's it about? And she read on October 8th was part of the description. It was like the first three words of the description. Hmm. And as soon as she said that, as soon as she said that, 
I looked at the time and it had just switched from 11.59 p.m. on October 17th to midnight on October 8th. It was a really weird coincidence. Like it was the minute she said it. But that was the same night as the the UFO sighting. Yeah, these little weird synchros and weird coincidences and stuff tend to surround that stuff. Mm -hmm. Was there anything kind of weird going on in your life at the time you saw the UFO that you can remember? Honestly, no, not not that I can think of right now. Yeah, it's just I mean, it's just one of the questions I. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I'm I'm trying to think. I I don't think so. Not anything particularly weird. A little bit after my my paternal grandfather died, so a different one than the one we'd already talked about. Mm-hmm. It was maybe about a week after I. Well, this is interesting. So I was sleeping in my brother's room, which I already told you. I always I never really liked. Right. And because my room was being redone, so I had to sleep in there for about a month, and I I, I hated it. But <laughs> it's the only room that I've ever seen anything in, which is interesting of that house anyway. About a week after he passed, I was laying there just kind of sleepless. I was about 13 or 14, which is interesting because now that I think about it, a lot of these things happened when I was about between the ages of 12 and 14. Mm-hmm. Not really sure why. I was sleepless and I, I open my eyes and I see a silhouette in in the door. And it was it wasn't a shadow person, but it it, it I couldn't make out features. It was kind of a transparent shadow. It was very different from my, my sleep paralysis one. And I felt at ease. And I somehow just at the time, I, I knew that it was my grandfather who had passed. Oh, wow. And um, I just, I felt very comforted, very calm. Like I wasn't scared at all. I just, you know, I knew it was him. And then I don't remember if it was that night or the night after. I remember it was one of those two nights. I had a dream that he was with me and we were playing games of cards with a deck that he gave me, you know, in, in person before he passed. And this dream felt like it was, it was forever. Like it felt like it lasted the whole night and it was just me and him playing cards with his favorite card deck that he got from, um, from another country. And it felt very real, you know, and it just, it made me feel very, very calm. And I woke up and I'm like, wow, like I, he was, you know, visiting me in my dream after I, I saw his silhouette. Huh. Now, when you say you saw something in your brother's room, is it that silhouette what you meant? Yes. I've never seen anything other than my sleep paralysis. I've never mm-hmm. seen anything visually in, in my own room or in any other place in the house. And your family still has this residence? Yes. I don't live there currently, but, but they do. Mm-hmm. Has anybody else seen anything around? My mom has seen a shadow person. Unlike the one I saw during my sleep paralysis, she um, she was in our dining room. And there's this big mirror that we have in our din- dining room that she does her makeup and stuff in every morning or at night when she's going out. And um, she's seen what she describes as a, you know, shadow person, just a pitch black person shaped spirit in our in our living room because from the mirror you can see part of our living room Mm -hmm. and she saw it just just standing there and really freaked her out but there was that like I said my brother has seen the supposedly seen the screaming boy in his room oh yeah yeah um yep we have had people 
So we had a cat, the one that I was talking about that wouldn't go into my brother's room for about 12 years. The first 12 years of my life, we had her for a long time. And she lived in that house with us. And she, we had to put her down when I was about 12 again. And for about four years, we, we didn't have any cats. There were no animals upstairs because our dog wasn't allowed up there. We, you know, there were never any pets upstairs. And I had multiple friends, you know, go to the other room, use the bathroom or, you know, just leave my room or anything. And they would come back and ask if we had gotten a cat because they saw one in my mom's room. And I'd just be like, no, we, mm. we, don't, we don't have any, any animals in here. But they would say that they, they saw a black cat, which our cat that had passed away was a black cat. And that happened for a couple of years um, oh, wow. until, we got, until we got some more <laughs> real cats. But that was that was interesting. Cause she she seemed to still be around. Yeah, that's neat. That's very neat. Mm-hmm. Do you still get like if you go to visit your parents? Do you still get weird feelings in your brother's room? Oh, definitely. I th- I think I always will for a long time. And my my mom says the same thing. You you would walk into the house just anywhere you were, and you'd feel just kind of a heaviness on your shoulders. Um, like there was definitely some negative energy throughout the whole house, but my brother's room was definitely the worst. Since then, that happened for probably about the first five to six years for both of us that we had lived there. And then I'm I'm not sure what happened if all the renovations we did kind of, you know, helped or I'm not sure, but we we don't experience that anymore. But we would have other people say the same thing too. The house just seemed to just have a negative weight on anybody who walked in Hmm. we've had it's again happened to both me and my mom several times always in the dining room which is interesting we've had we we would just be sitting at the table by ourselves each time and we would feel a tap on our shoulders and each time both of us thought it was my little brother or somebody tapping our shoulder and we turn around and nothing's there that's happened a lot to both of us Part of me wonders, you know, not, not to take a thing away from the house, but because these experiences, you know, run through your mother's family, and mm-hmm. and you sort of share them with you, I, you know, I often wonder if if it's people who are are not haunted in not places sometimes, you know, and I wonder if if you're sort of bringing this energy or stirring it up or mm-hmm. you know what I mean. I, mm-hmm. I don't have any real answers, but but it's it's curious to me that now while your brother did you know see something and he saw that spirit multiple times yes yes yeah that's that's interesting too but yeah no it's really really interesting that so many of these experiences seem you know kind of pointed towards you and your mother oh i definitely agree i i think about that a lot um because it just seems like you know there are certain people who experience these types of things their whole life everywhere they go you know and then there are other people who've never experienced anything ever mm-hmm. and it i i definitely agree with you i think there's something there just for some reason some people are just born with that sense or spirits are attracted to certain people a lot more than others um or if it's like a generational thing in some cases because yeah, you know like i said my whole mom's side of the family has a lot of similar things that have happened to them it's like it's everybody it's it's really crazy i put it down to being almost like 
like drawing like some people can just draw without ever practicing they're just they just have that ability you know mm-hmm. some people can draw but they need to practice all the time and then they get better drawing or, or playing a musical instrument you know i, I kind of liken it to that i i think these experiences are available to everyone but some people just kind of it's just easier for them they can just access them them easier somehow that it's you know like i said yeah. like like people who are natural musicians or natural artists or something like that yep i 100 percent agree Obviously, I'm pretty young. I am 18, so I haven't had a lot of time to really gather a bunch of these experiences, but I've I've had quite a few for my age, and um, my mom, it seems like anywhere she goes, any house she moves to, she has something, you know, like, Mm -hmm. she she sees a lot. Like, the house that I was born in, it was the house that I told you I used to talk in front of the pictures of my grandpa. Somebody died, actually, in the back room of that house, and... That room was always weirdly colder than the rest. And she's seen a lot there. Like she's, you know, those old fashioned phones with like, I don't really know how to describe them. They have the weird earpiece that's kind of like a cone almost. Yeah, yeah, kind of like a candlestick phone or something. Yeah, yeah. She had one of those in the house and she, it it was at nighttime. She saw one being picked up and she she swears you know like she she knows what she's seen it was like levitating almost and just kind of started moving around and she was like this is not happening like like what is going on in that house that was interesting a lot of times in that house because my my parents separated when I was young but this goes back to what I was saying about how we think that my grandfather is kind of protecting us in some way that mm-hmm. whenever my mother and father would get into an, an argument or, you know, start, you know, yelling at each other or getting louder or something, something would happen, such as in that house specifically, my dad was yelling at her one time and plates got thrown out of the cupboard. There was like three or four of them just got basically thrown almost across the room and broke on the floor in the middle of their argument. Wow. And that kind of thing has happened more than once. Um, and it's always in the middle of an argument. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. No, I've heard that before. I've heard other people say very similar things of, you know, getting a screaming match with their significant other or something. And, you know, the vase comes off the shelf or whatever it is, but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know anything more than the next guy, but but I feel like there's a there's a family component there. I I definitely agree, because you know, like I said, it's it's a lot of my mom's side of the family, and my mm. dad's side of the family doesn't really have anything. Like he doesn't experience a lot of stuff. My grandma and grandpa on his side never really experienced a lot of stuff. My aunts and uncles on his his side, like not you know not really anything. But for for whatever reason, my mother's side, it's it's everybody has that that kind of sense. Yeah, that's just very, born with it. Very interesting. Well, Emma, thank you so much for sharing your stories tonight. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.
our patrons, I think it was two months ago, where I did the Hermit of Irving Castle, John Smith. And if you remember in that story, there was yet another hermit that kind of moved in and stole his house, and he had to move further yeah. up the mountain. So I was really irked by that. That's two hermits in Irving, Massachusetts. And you found a third. And I, I, looking up, because I was looking for more information on John Smith, and here this guy pops up. Irving Irving of Irvington. <laughs> <laughs> so this is his story, and I couldn't find any more information. I, I looked for a ton more information on him because he's a snake-charming hermit. It seems like really, really cool, but uh, I found no more information on him. So this, this is it. So we're going to read an article. It's from the Boston Sunday Globe, August 24th, 1890. Oh, you got that. I had a different printout, so they must have printed it twice. I had it from the Boston <laughs> Weekly Globe. Oh, okay. Yeah. 1890, here we go. Mr. Irving Irving of Irvington. <laughs> He cherishes serpents because his love was false, though fair. Irving Irving's romance and strange infatuation. Bay State hermit who left the town for the wilds. And this is kind of a common theme that it's like love, lost love, and yes, that drives one to have a melancholy disposition. Mm-hmm. Everybody in Western Massachusetts has heard of Irving Irving of Irvington a cranky, melancholy citizen, half-farmer and half-hunter who lives in a small shanty away up under the sides of the towering hills that have broken out all over Franklin County, so thickly that it seems as if the whole shire has been smitten with a permanent type of smallpox. His wants are few, and so he seldom visits the settlement. But the stories of his feats as a hunter and a woodsman have oozed and percolated all through the neighborhood and have grown by repetition until it now comes to pass that when a man hears or invents any particularly improbable lie, it is at once foisted upon him, Mr. Irving, so that he rivals Satan himself in holding the title of Father of Lies. It was a weekday in May when I hired a horse and wagon to go out and make him a call. The skilled globe artist, S.G., went with me. As it was a long and tedious journey, we obtained the best horse to be had in the village and got an early start in order to surprise the famous character at home if possible. But we were too late. He had already gone to the woods to collect his sap and put his maple orchard in condition for next year's crop. We knew this by the following sign, written in charcoal on birch bark and pinned to the front of his only door. Upon the hill to get sap troughs. Ohm to dinner. (laughs) Up on the hill was rather vague, but as it was all we had to go by, we went, and as luck would have it, we found him seated in an old oak bark chair close to the place where he had recently boiled his sap. A fife of the pattern used by our grandfathers when they stood shoulder to shoulder at Bunker Hill was in his hands. A slouch felt hat was on his head, and his deeply whiskered and mustached lips were puckered up in readiness to blow into the instrument. "'Good day to you, sirs,' he said, keeping his seat and still fingering the fife lovingly. "'We're having wet weather just now, which makes it bad for planting. Can I sell you some maple sugar?' In reply, we told him we did not care for the sweets of the maple." But as we had heard that the sweet tones of his fife could draw snakes from their dens and make them come and do his bidding, we wished to see a sample of his art, and would pay him more liberally for it than any saccharine goods he had for sale or could sell. It's rather early yet for the boys to come out, was his reply. Most all of them have not shed their skins yet and are sick, but I will try. Again he gave that peculiar pucker to his lips, and again his fingers went skipping over the stops like raindrops on the roof of a house. And this is where he sings a little song, I guess. "'Tis the last rose of summer, left blooming alone. All its beauteous companions have faded and gone. 
He began plaintively, but with increasing vigor, so that when he reached the last two lines, the notes fairly whistled and shrieked with rude energy. Not a snake came to his call, however. Bonnie over the Alps was most assayed with like results. Snakes may like music, but they eventually did not warm up to his productions. Guess I'll give him a dose of Yankee Doodle, he said, and then the National Hymn of America went out through the budding maples, was strained on the rocky hillside, and was brought back in a badly broken and mutilated condition by a host of attendant echoes. There was little music to be sure, but the whole valley was vibrant with noise, and the hardy and fearless chickadees that had lately been singing on limbs around us so near that we could have hit them with our sticks took flight and went off in great terror. What was that? The sound was repeated again and again, repeated until we asked its meaning. Oh, that's nothing but a poor little rattler who has come out here to hear me play, he said. And again, Yankee Doodle exploded with new force and vigor. The sound was running down the hillside and the click and rattle and tinkle grew nearer and nearer, while the fingers flew so swiftly that they looked like the blur made by the spokes of a rapidly revolving carriage wheel. The noise was hardly two rods away when he laid down his fife, arose and walked up the ledgy steep and pulled out a hideously-looking rattlesnake, brought him down and laid him on the moss at his feet. The snake was some three feet long and had but two rattles on the end of its tail, providing it to be but just an infant ophidian. It coiled up with great celerity, however, and we make haste to get out of the way. Not so the musician. Cooley took up his fife and began to give it some more Yankee Doodle. Then the coils unwound, like the spring of a Waterbury watch, and in about a minute the reptile was zigzagging all around his performer's feet. Whether it was charmed or not, I do not know, and cannot hazard a guess, but I believe that Mr., having had some power which I did not and do not possess, and which I do not care to have, while poison lurks in the fangs of rattlesnakes. Bonnie Dune, America, Coming Through the Rye, and other tunes were tried during the next half hour, but the only result was one more little sky-striped snake that had not seemed to have had such a musical education as was possessed by his cousin the Rattler. (laughs) As I was telling you, it is no use, said Mr. Irving. It's too early, and they won't come. I knew it before I begun. He took a long pull of whiskey from a flask I offered, and, smacking his lips, picked up a snake in each hand and twisted them together as a sailor would the strands of spun yarn. He pulled them out and doubled them up. He opened his shirt front and put the cold, slimy things on his naked breast. He tied them in knots around his neck, and he finished up by running them ahead down first, each of his loose trouser legs, and pulling them out by the heads of his shoes. It was a loathsome and at the same time fascinating sight. His hands were at steady and his eyes as unwandering as those of a marble image. Though the rattlesnake frequently opened its mouth showing its great discolored fangs, The snake charmer did not seem the least affrightened, but handed them both the way a country girl would guide a pliable mass of molasses candy. When he was done, he carefully laid the snakes down upon the soft bear's bread moss, and walked as if he made the performance an everyday pastime, as indeed he does, if half the tales he told us are to be credited. When inside his snug and comfortable cabin, he told us the story of his life, while the wind-driven rain beat musical tattoo on the rude roof boards and made the panes of the solitary window rattle to the tread of 10,000 feet. As usual, there was a woman in the case. Like the girl we all know, she was fair but false. After she married the other fellow, he came up here into the wilderness and built him a home and cleared him a little strip of land with his own hands. This was over 20 years ago, and since that time he has not slept outside of the hut in which he lives for a single night. As the years wore on and he saw he could earn a comfortable living for himself with comparative ease, he grew to longing for pets and companions. 
He had no horse, no cow, pig, dog, and even the omnipresent cat had never taken shelter under his roof tree. He tried to domesticate several of the different woodland animals. Woodchucks were his hobby for a year or two, after which he had a fad for raccoons, and at one time ten of these animals made his place their home. Foxes and even skunks came in for a share of his affections, and when the last quadruped had failed, he began to domesticate crows, hawks, blackbirds, and robins. No use, they could not fill up the aching wound made by unrequited love. So he made a right-about-face movement and wreaked his devouring passion upon snakes. At last his heart was stilled, and snakes have now been his confidants and constant companions for half a score of years, so that the image of his former true love no longer haunts his dreams or causes him to curse the day he was born. Briefly, the serpent he would have taken to his breast and loved to the end had been wholly forgotten, and snakes had been substituted to fill her place. All the time of our visit, he had a harem composed of 21 adult snakes, to say nothing of two dozen or so of infantile ophidians who are not counted in his census. These are my wives, said he, emptying boxful after boxful on the floor and allowing them to mix and tangle up like angleworms in a bait can. And a fine set of loving beauties they are, too. Did you ever see anything more beautiful or graceful than they are? They are the finest creatures in New England. I would not sell them for all the money you have or could earn. The squeaky old fife was again brought into requisition, and for a half an hour, delirium tremens ruled the place. <laughs> One snake after another would be called out to perform his act of wiggling and contortion, and when he grew weary, a fresh candidate for athletic honors would take his place, as readily and with as much precision as a prompter stood behind the scenes to give the word. Perhaps half a dozen of the pets were thoroughly trained and would climb up his legs and body and run out on his arms or twine about his neck at the motion of his head, but the rest were as yet simply pupils and required a heap of prompting and coaxing before they would obey, and even then some of the more difficult feats they would not essay to do at all. Here's some, I guess, New England vernacular of the time. <laughs> I calculate that snakes live eight years, was Mr. Irving's reply to the reporter's question. A rattler lasts longer, say 10 or 12 years, but not many reach that age, for they get lazy when they get old. And the hawks and foxes are pretty sure to eat them up. A snake that's four years old and in the prime of his life, and after that he begins to go back. Snakes are the easiest things to train in the world. I can break a snake quicker than you can settle a dog. And when he once knows a thing, he never forgets it. Another thing I want to say about snakes is that they are mighty small eaters. They want to lay in a big meal about once a fortnight. After that, they curl up and are quiet as lambs until the food's all used up. I generally shoot squirrels and rabbits for my snakes. A full-grown rattler will eat a whole rabbit as a meal, but he doesn't want anything more for two weeks. In all my days, I never saw a snake that knew enough to come home when he had got outdoors. They will crawl off into the bushes and nooks and stay there no matter how well I use them. I've tried it a good many times, but it was always the same way. A dog will follow his master. A cat will stay by the old house when all the people are dead and gone. But a snake is a tramp and don't care where he stays or how long he stays there so long as he's comfortable. I shouldn't wonder if half the snakes up here among those hills have been my pets, first and last, but some of them got away and others I let go until now. These are all that I have left. One thing more, I've heard it said that young snakes would not lay eggs or raise young when it is in confinement. It's a big story if I had a dollar for every snake egg that had ever been laid in this house, and for every young snake that had been hatched here, I should be rich. This illusion led me to question the recluse about his knowledge of this big world outside his haunts. It was useless. He had heard of the telegraph, but the telephone and phonograph were utter strangers to him. Jay Gould, Astor, Vanderbilt, they were all riddles to him. He believed that a fellow by the name of Cleveland was president. 
but come to think of it, he had heard he was out, and he had reckoned the office was vacant. <laughs> the great stories about the wonderful cosity of Baby McKee had no charms for him, and the name of Harrison simply called up something that he had once heard about an old general who fought at Tippecanoe. The riddles of the Sphinx were not more mysterious than the tariff debate, the need of a new navy, Blaine's foreign policy, or what to do with the surplus. He had a surplus of his own small dimensions, but he knew how to reduce it and trusted the United States could handle itself without help from him. Not an almanac, not a paper, nor even a Bible was in his house. An old circus poster, dated away back in 1887, was nailed to the wall. On it was a picture of a scantily dressed female in the act of vaulting from the back of a galloping horse and leaping through a hoop. This, he thought, was a good work of art. When he left civilization, he could read and write fairly well, but these accomplishments had grown rusty from long disuse, so that now he spelled out his words like a boy in a primary school. Books and other literature had no use for him, so he had no need of them. His chief income was derived from selling pretty basket fishing creels to anglers and tourists and maple sugar to anyone who wanted it. For this reason, he kept the birch bark sign constantly on his house when he was out of sight. As for his diet, that was largely vegetables, consisting mainly of beans, peas, and potatoes. His double-barreled gun gave him all the meat he required but salt pork, which he could buy at the nearest store some ten miles away. Much of the clothing he wore was given him by the gentlemen and tourists who came his way. The rest he bought. The bed on which he sleeps had cedar poles for springs, hemlock boughs for a mattress, and fox and coon skins for covering. On the whole, he was the simplest, most guileless child of nature I had ever met, and I was half sorry when the rain clouds split apart over the hills and gave us promise of a comfortable journey home. So this is the story of Irving Irving of Irvington. <laughs> which I think is Irving. So I think he's actually Irving Irving of Irving. The artist mentioned, S.G., he did a wonderful portrait of Irving Irving playing his fife and the snakes crawling all over him. That was in the newspaper. I have taken that mm -hmm. and I've clipped it and reproduced it and made it available as a t-shirt at our tea public shop. Oh. So if you'd like a Irving Irving the Snake Charmer t-shirt, it is in the Strange Familiars tea public shop. I'll put links in the show notes. You know I'm trying to figure out who was on the circus poster in 1887. <laughs> <laughs> and now we move on to the fabulous photo of the week. But before we do that, I want to thank Sandra at Perth Pewter. You can find them at perthpewter.com. She sent me, among other things, a wonderful little Bigfoot figurine, Bigfoot holding a bone. Check them out, perthpewter.com. So the photo of the week, I feel like this gem tintype is a little bigger than some of the other gem tintypes we've featured. Yeah, you can definitely have smaller ones, but she's still of the smallish size. Yeah. She would actually predate by a good 20 years the circus girl. The circus girl on the horse on yeah. like, <laughs> uh, the, the poster that yeah. Irving Irving had. She was probably quite li little when the Civil War was happening. She's not very old in this picture. No, it's a pretty young woman. Is she wearing a candy cane around her neck? Is that some sort of jewelry? <laughs> it's not a cane. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes, she has, I think, a pin that has an, an attached chain. Ah, gotcha. And a little bit of blush on her cheeks, which she did not apply. The photographer did. Well, he did a good job. He did. It was like, because sometimes they do kind of look like the... Homer Simpson's makeup gun. <laughs> <laughs> this gem tintype is in the paper case. It's a mat. <laughs> this gem tintype is in the paper mat. Sorry. 
It is a sort of case. It's encased. It is encased. It's still sealed, yes. It's sealed. She's been in that little mat. Since the 1800s. Yeah, for 106, 50 years at least. Wow. That's the cool thing about photos. Where else can you go out and get something that's 150 years old? That shows an image of a person at the time or, yeah. or whatever it shows. You know, usually it's a, a, that's a person That's the amazing the thing about photos. Yeah, like, it, you can't go out and just buy, like, a 150-year-old pen. I mean, you can, but... Yeah. If you go to the show notes for this episode at strangefamiliars.com, you can click on an image of this. It'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can buy this. You can buy other photos of the week. You can buy the artwork for this week's episode. You can get the Bigfoot prints I talked about at the top of the show. You can get Strange Familiars t-shirts. As of yet, we still have every size available, small through 3XL. You can get other artwork by me. You can get copies of my books. Check it out. Etsy shop name is Lost Grave. If you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff will come up. While you're on Etsy, check out Chad's shop, Ruck Rabbit Outdoors, and check out our friends at Karmic Garden as well. Will you be releasing, say, a 7-inch of Yankee Doodle Dandy so we can all try to... Play it on the fife? Yeah, to become snake charmers. Not much of a fife player. Not much of a dandy, so... (laughs) (laughs) Do you think Irving Irving of Irvington was a dandy? In my mind, he was. (laughs) (laughs) You know I love a dandy. I I know you do. (laughs) Patrons, thank you so much. We could not do Strange Familiars without you. Thank you for your support. There's over 70 patron shows now. If you sign up, you help us out. You get extra content. We're doing two patron shows a month. We guarantee one patron show a month, but lately here we've been doing two. I think we're going to keep up with that pace. So you get extra content. You help us continue to make Strange Familiars. Go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Check out all the different tiers of support there. If you don't like the idea of a subscription service like Patreon, you can make a one-time donation. Just go to the show notes under any episode at strangefamiliars.com. Look for the paypal.me link. You can click that and make a one-time donation. You can also help by sharing the show on social media, by liking and subscribing wherever you're listening, whatever podcatcher you use, or if you're on YouTube, and by leaving us those nice five-star reviews because that helps get the show in front of new potential listeners. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you'd like to hear more or purchase music by Stone Breath, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars Gathering Group. We are on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, and you can always find us on the World Wide Web (laughs) at strangefamiliars.com. Never knew
Upgrade you to our Shred membership. For 130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.